we're going to gather around God's Word uh, here in this space. We're going to be reading uh, Psalm uh, 42. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me there. If not, the words will be on the screen as we together uh, hear the words of the psalmists, uh, the sons of Korah, as they uh, lift up this song before us today. Hear the word of the Lord. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for, for, for God, the living God. When, I, when, when can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all of your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to, to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and in its hearing. <clears throat> Together we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Thanks be to God. Good morning. If we haven't had the pleasure of meeting yet, I hope to meet you after service. My name is Zach, and I'm one of the pastors here at Covenant. Uh, let's pray together. Father, we do give you thanks. Thanks for your word that is for us, even now, in the 21st century. Uh, Father, uh, we ask that, that you would make your word and the truth within come to life for us this morning in a new way. Father, you have made each one of us for this day with purpose and love. Give us, God, whatever it is that you want to teach us from your word this morning. Help us to humble our hearts and open our ears to hear what your spirit has to say. Father, Find my tongue and my lips that no false word might pass from them. Move me aside that it might just be you speaking to your kids. Love you, Father, so much. Amen. So uh, it was several years ago um, before I had ever uh, preached a sermon, uh, before I was a pastor, before I'd even considered being a pastor or preaching a sermon, that I would ever, ever do that. Uh, I was in a transitional period of my life, uh, moving beyond my parents' household, moving beyond their church, off to make my own way in the world. 
Uh, and one week, I was invited by a friend to visit his church, a little church. Maybe you've heard of it, Covenant Methodist Church. Anybody heard of it? Uh, it's a great place. Check it out. Um, <laughs> I was invited by a friend to come to Covenant because my friend was the worship leader at the time, and he needed someone to fill in on bass guitar uh, for that Sunday. So uh, feeling the freedom of young adulthood, making my own way, I happily accepted uh, the day came, and I very much enjoyed myself. It was a great worship experience. The sermon was awesome. The pastor was awesome. And uh, I think that I must not have been the only person to appreciate it, because come the next week, uh, I was invited back to fill in again and again and again and again, and you get the picture. Uh, so... Time went by, uh, and I was filling in week after week, uh, and I began to realize that Covenant was feeling more and more like home for me. However, I didn't invest in putting down roots, really, because uh, I had a different career path at the time, and it was going to draw me away from Covenant at some point. So I knew my tenure wasn't... Uh, supposed to be very long at the time, uh, so I didn't put down deep roots. Now, let me confess plainly what I mean by that. Uh, I didn't think I would be here forever, so I just didn't bother to learn anyone's name. I know it's bad. Uh, I didn't bother to learn anyone's name, and I was there, uh, I was here for like two years serving on the worship team and not learning anyone's name except for people out, uh, on the worship team, and maybe a few individuals outside of it. Um, the other part that makes this awkward is Covenant, being the very warm and hospitable church that you are, um, every single human being in Covenant at that time knew my name, uh, and I didn't know theirs. Well, uh, God radically changed the direction of my life and my career and uh, called me into vocational ministry as a pastor, and that's another story for another day. But here's the problem. As I'm now looking around to put down deep roots at Covenant, still didn't know anyone's name. And everyone still, my, still knew my name, and it was really too late to ask. You know that moment, right, where you've known someone for years uh, and you're in the same circles, you see them at parties every now and then, and you recognize them, and they know your name, and you just never quite remember what theirs is when they say hello. You ever had that moment? Try that times like 150 people in one church. Uh, where you're supposed to be like a pastor who loves all the people there. It's, uh, it's, it's great. And so when you come to that moment in your life, you have really three choices. One, you can let the awkwardness of the situation just drive you away. You can run away from the situation, and you can leave. Option two, you can humble yourself. You can admit, I'm sorry, I still don't remember your name. What is your name? Please, I'll try to remember this time. Or option three is uh, you can fake it. 
Hey, dude. Good morning. So good to see you. Ma'am, you look so nice this Sunday morning. Uh, How's your family? Good, good. You can fake it, right? Anybody ever done that? Just me? Okay. Thank you. Um, Friends, for so many of us, this story isn't too dissimilar from our life of faith. You see, I became a Christian at a very young age, and I don't remember a moment of my life before I uh, would have professed faith in Jesus as a Christian. I just don't. Uh, it's my, my earliest memories come with a professing of faith in Jesus. And uh, as I grew up, I knew all the Sunday school answers. I was in church every week. And I looked like a thriving Christian as a teenager and into my early 20s. But I I had a secret. I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know how to pray. Now, I knew the mechanics of prayer, right? I knew how to offer words in God's general direction, right? I even knew how to pray prayers that sounded really great, right? Like praying for a group, oh man, I kill that, okay? I would offer prayers that had people walk away from the prayer time thinking, wow, I wish I could pray like Zach. But I had been a Christian for about two decades, and I didn't have a clue how to spend time alone with God. And I had been a Christian for so long that it felt like it was too late to ask for help. I had a reputation to to live up to, after all. And I wonder if that's you. I wonder if that's you. Maybe you've been a Christian for so long that you feel like it's too late to ask for help. It's too late to say, oh, I don't know how to pray. I'm really struggling to gain consistency in my prayer life. I'm really struggling when I open up the scriptures. It's confusing and I close it just as fast as I opened it up. You feel like it's too late to confess, man, I, I just feel awkward singing songs of worship in a corporate setting. I don't understand. Why do we do that? Or maybe it's too late. It's too late to admit that you're still struggling with the same sins that you dealt with before you were a Christian. You feel like nothing has changed. And you've been a Christian for so long that you believe, I should not be struggling with this stuff. I should have this figured out by now. But I don't. And when we come to this place, we have three choices. We can let the weight of failure crush us, and we can run away from God and his church. 
we can humble ourselves, we can admit where we really are, and we can ask for help. Or we can fake it. We can fake it. But here's the thing about faking it. You see, not only do we have to fool everyone else around us, but we also have to fool ourselves day in and day out. I am okay where I am. And friends, that can only last so long before the truth catches up with us, and often it will just drive us into a state of spiritual depression. Spiritual depression. Uh, The term spiritual depression was coined by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a Welsh minister in the 1900s in London. Uh, He served at Westminster Chapel. And here are some of the symptoms that he defines as spiritual depression. Losing touch with your faith. Forgetting God, uh, what that means is maybe you struggle to find time in your day-to-day life to spend with God or to devote to spiritual study or any sort of spiritual practices whatsoever. Or maybe focusing more on your past mistakes than on what changes you could make in the future to live differently. These are some of the symptoms of spiritual depression. Anybody been here before? Me too. Me too. And I have good news, okay? It's not just you and it's not just me who struggle with spiritual depression. All right, thousands of years ago, the sons of Korah who wrote Psalm 42 struggled with spiritual depression. And listen to this prayer that they wrote from this place. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? But my tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? Where is your God? Anybody ever prayed this prayer before? Some of you are like, no, Pastor Zach, I've never compared myself to a deer in a prayer in my life. Maybe your prayer sounds a little more like this. God, why can't I change? Why can't I grow? Why do I feel stuck? God, I'm trying. I've been trying to get rid of this nagging sin for years. I've tried and tried to read the Bible, but I get confused and I just give up. God, I'm trying to be consistent in talking with you and praying. I'm trying to grow in my faith, but these circumstances around me, they're just too hard. It feels like you're not here. I can't do it. I want to have a close relationship with you, God, but I just can't seem to get any momentum. Why can't I change? Maybe that's been your prayer. The sons of Korah have some neighbors 
And they highlight in verse 3 that we just read a false belief that many of us hold. I'll read the verse again. My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? Where is your God? Here's the false belief that many of us hold. The perceived absence of progress indicates the absence of God. Say it again. The perceived absence of progress in our lives indicates the absence of God in our lives. This is a false belief that that many of us hold. The authors here are asked by their neighbors, where is your God? Right? All of these bad things are happening to you. You're crying day and night. Where's your God? Because if he was real, if he was here, you and your life would look different. Now, why do we fall into that belief? I'll give you an example from the world of fitness. So uh, when someone who's never worked out before begins a new exercise routine, uh, they experience dramatic improvement almost immediately, right? You ever done that? Immediately. Every week, you're rotating through your exercise routine, uh, and like week after week, you're adding 20 pounds to your squat every week, you're adding 10 pounds to your bench press every week, and you're like, wow, I'm a beast, all right, now this, in, in the field of health and fitness, this phenomenon has a technical term. Ready? It's called newbie gains. Technical term, newbie gains. Uh, it's called newbie gains. And, and so what happens is uh, you experience drastic growth right off the bat because your body's like, oh, we're doing it? We're moving? Okay, let's do this. Let's go. And your body responds in drastic ways. And that lasts for maybe a month, maybe six weeks, maybe two months if, if you're a real newbie. Um, and then the transformation starts to slow way down. All right, maybe uh, one week to the next you don't add any weight at all. Or maybe, heaven forbid, maybe you can't even lift as much weight as you could the last week. And it feels like you're going backwards. And what happens most often at this point in the process is that people give up completely. You see, they had come to expect a level of growth that is unrealistic and unsustainable. It's just not how the world works, right? If it did, we'd all be superheroes. If we're adding 20 pounds to our squat week over week, I mean, where do you stop, right? See, you, you get it. But we have these unrealistic expectations. And when we have unrealistic expectations, we're set up for failure. Right? And we don't just do this in health and fitness. We do this in our spiritual lives. Maybe you begin a renewed dedication to your relationship with God. The first few weeks, everything is wonderful. You feel so spiritual. You feel like you're so close to God. But then a few weeks later, it's harder than you ever thought it would be. 
and you give up. Right? We pray like the sons of Korah in verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Man, I remember how great it was in the early days, like a month ago. I just felt so alive. And I was progressing so fast. But today, I could only lift 90% of what I did last week. I must not be growing anymore. I must not be growing anymore. All right, and then we just give up. And we can kind of laugh about this from an external perspective because we can see how ridiculous it is, right? To throw out an entire body of work over one failure or even five failures, ten failures, an entire body of work. How about in our spiritual lives? We have 20, 30 years of following the Lord and we come to a struggle season and we just throw out our faith. We can see how ridiculous this is, but we also laugh a little inside because we see how relatable it is. Because we've been there. We've been there. And so here's the truth, friends. It goes for fitness. It goes for our life of faith. And it really it goes for any sort of transformation or skill acquisition that we want to pursue in our lives. The process of transformation takes time. Always. And it is full of challenges, discomfort, disappointment, and even pain. I'm sorry to be a downer, guys, but this is the truth. Transformation is hard. Do you know how long it takes an experienced weightlifter to add uh, even like five pounds to a lift? When in the beginning, you could add four times that in one week. When you've been lifting for four or five years, you know how long it takes to add like five pounds to a lift? It could be six months of grinding and grinding day in and day out. Lifts, accessory lifts, diet, sleep, stretching. Six months for five pounds, all that, that came so easily at the beginning. Transformation takes time and effort. <clears throat> but here's the other side of the coin that we forget all too easily. Just because things are hard and uncomfortable, painful, not what we expected, does not mean that we aren't growing. Okay, just because you experience pain, unmet expectation, challenge, setback, doesn't mean that you aren't growing. Right? Do you think God is not there simply because your relationship with him is harder than you thought it would be? No, of course not. Of course not. God is always there. And growth in your relationship with him is worth all of the disappointment, the discomfort, and the difficulty. 
All right. I've just been bringing expectations down for the last 15 minutes. Let me bring them up just a bit. A little bit of hope. So when Jesus calls us to follow him, he warns us that it's going to be difficult. He does this so that we're not surprised, right? We talked about this, so we don't set up falsely inflated expectation about what it's going to be. But he also gives us many gifts to help us persevere when those hard times come, persevere through the transformation process, right? And we're going to spend the next few weeks as a church looking at a few of these gifts, but for today I'm going to give you what I believe to be the most important step that you can take today, right, wherever you're at. So when I was really struggling with my prayer life, I felt stuck, and I felt like there was no hope. I felt a lot like the sons of Korah in verses 9 and 10. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? I felt like God wasn't there because when I would sit down to pray, I didn't feel anything. It was hard. But what happened was my relationship with God became stunted because I didn't know how to spend time alone with him. And when my expectations about prayer and what it should be like weren't met, I would just not pray. I would just give up. So point number one. How do you expect to grow in something if you don't do it? I was faking it. I was faking it, and I wasn't actually praying. How could I expect to grow in my life of prayer if I didn't do it? And so if you're struggling to grow in your prayer life, Commit to yourself and to God. I'm going to spend five minutes alone with God every day for one year. Okay, five minutes. Now, I'm not talking about praying while you brush your teeth or praying in the shower or praying on your lunch break while you eat. Those things are good, but it's not enough. Right? No relationship can grow unless we spend time alone together where that's all you're doing. Right? Married couples testify. Your relationship cannot grow unless you spend time alone together. So commit five minutes a day where it's just you and God. And at first, it will be awkward as it is experiencing alone time in any distant relationship. Okay? It's going to be awkward at first but it's going to grow and just see what kind of transformation can can occur when you do something 365 times. It's going to blow your mind. It's going to blow your mind. Here's number two, and it's equally important to just doing it if you're struggling. You see, when I was failing in prayer, my belief about what constituted a good prayer was that it should be made up of the things that God wants to hear. So I would sit down to pray, and I would immediately put my guard up. 
Better not say anything that God would be mad about. Better not say anything that will disappoint God. And I would literally try and correct my theology in my statements, refining my statements like it was an essay. To make sure I prayed exactly according to Scripture, exactly according to truth, uh, so that God might not be disappointed. So I'd pray a bunch of stuff that wasn't from my own heart, right? It might have been someone's heart. It's not mine. No wonder I would give up so easily. I mean, how anxiety-inducing to pray as if there's no grace. To pray as if your Father in heaven doesn't know the dark parts about your soul. Right? To pray as if we're not reconciled to God by the blood of Jesus. How anxiety-inducing to, to try and have your guard up and hide from the God of the universe. No wonder I gave up. You see, the thing about faking it is there's a third person that you have to fool. Right? You have to fool everyone else. You have to fool yourself. You've got to fool God if you're going to successfully fake it. And you just can't do it. Um, there's a really helpful book about this that changed my prayer life. Um, it's by a man named Kyle Strobel, son of Lee Strobel. Uh, it's called Where Prayer Becomes Real. I highly, highly recommend you to, if you're struggling in your life of prayer, move it to the top of your, prayer, uh, your book list. Where prayer becomes real. It's so, so helpful. Here's a quote for today. Prayer is not a place to be good. It is a place to be honest. Prayer is not a place to perform. It is a place to be present. Prayer is not a place to be right. It is a place to be known. Prayer is not a place to prove your worth. It is a place to receive worth and offer yourself in truth. Jesus has a really helpful teaching about this in Matthew chapter 6. In the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. That means... Everything that you could hope to have happen from prayer, it already happened. Just in them saying it, it's over. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask Him. When you spend your five minutes a day being alone with God, just open up your heart. Look inside yourself. Say, what, what do I care about right now? What's coming to mind? And pray about those things. 
The more you do this consistently, day after day, it will blow your mind how much easier it is to talk with God because it's really you. It's really you. And friends, when life gets hard and the external forces are painful and you feel like you're stuck in a rut and you're wondering, why can't I change? I don't perceive any progress in myself. Maybe you're in that moment right now. Maybe this is you today. I don't perceive any progress and I want it so badly. The sons of Korah have an anchoring verse for times of spiritual depression. It's found twice in this psalm and once in the next. Verse 5 and verse 11. Let this be your prayer today if you're in a place of spiritual depression. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. Yet, in spite of what's going on, in spite of my failure to grow, in spite of my sin, I will yet praise him again, my Savior and my God. Put your hope in God, church, and be encouraged. Because though transformation takes time and it's painful, little choices each and every day produce big transformation over the course of time. Don't give up. Let's pray. Father, help us, God. Help us. Oh, man, there's so much history, so much baggage, so much weighing us down. Help us. Help us to be humble enough to ask for help if we need help. To come to a a friend or a member of a community group or a pastor and say, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to read God's word. I don't know how to grow in my faith. Will you help me? Help us, God, to humble ourselves. But let our honesty start with just our times alone with you. Let our honesty start with saying, God, I don't know how to pray. I've been faking it. If that's you and you're ready to say that right now, I'll give you a space alone with God. Father, remind us that we have been reconciled to you by the blood of Jesus, that nothing is hidden from you about us love us anyways. Let that give us the the courage to be honest. Thank you, Father. Father, also pray over this time of offering. I ask that you would bless the gifts, that they would be used to bear fruit in your kingdom, fruit that will last. And I pray that you would bless the givers with the experience of freedom and joy that comes from giving things away. 
for generosity. Love you, Father. Love you, Jesus. Love you, Spirit. Thank you.